Hello. You're here with us at Running Oh my rivers. goodness. This is Shannon Rivers Podcasts, Running Through Rivers, with me, her mummy. Mum! Mummy! Stop! No! <laughs> Welcome back to Running Through Rivers uh, Conversations with My Mom. This is the uh, second part where we talk about all things kind of related to um, race, racism, connecting as parents. Um, she's my mom, but also I have children. And we talk about some of the differences between what it was like when I was a kid growing up and what has changed and what hasn't changed a little bit more over the course of um, kind of my life. So um, we're picking up just after where we left off last time where we were talking about how much energy it takes to uh, hold on to bigotry. So welcome back to the conversation. the reason why it still exists is because we're socialized into a system yeah and built in it's built into the system right it is yeah. and so if we're we are the product of our society right yeah. in a lot of ways and i have yeah. had like com- conversations recently about kind of that culture influence cycle and how um new ideas beget new in- new institutions or better yeah. institutions yeah. and and how individuals can kind of play into that right because yeah. like all the things that we're that we're talking about now in the social justice kind of stuff and diversity and inclusion stuff, these are new, not new, but you know, yeah. new to people waking up, I guess. Yeah. Um, new new ideas, and so it's going to take at least ten years for these ideas to yeah. mature and change something yeah. in in institutions. And there's two sides to that, isn't there? There's the like. We tend to think, but because we're such short-term thinkers as a species, I think, you know, we think that once something becomes settled, we think that it's been settled forever, you know, that things have always been this way, you know, and they haven't. You know, like, take the smoking ban, you know, like, before, what, 2005 or whatever it was, you know, you could smoke on the bus, you could smoke in a pub, you could smoke everywhere... You know, so literally, like, not even a generation ago, you could spark up wherever you wanted. You know, now, can you imagine the social opprobrium if you lit up a cigarette on the bus? Oh, my God, people would be furious. People would be like, get off the bloody bus. You know, that is disgusting. That is gross. You can't do that here. It would be sort of like... (laughs) Yeah. And you know? 
everyone. It wouldn't just be one person, would it? Exactly. It would be the whole of the bus, the whole of society, if you like. Mm. You know, but that's it. It has not always been that way. You know, and so we think that once a change has happened and the change is embedded, that we we kind of have this weird knack of like assuming that this has been this way for hundreds of years. <laughs> And it hasn't. It's been this way for a decade, you know? And so the positive side is that, like, you can have a massive society-wide change in a decade, you know? And the downside is, is that if that change is negative, people then say, oh, it's always been this way. And it's hard to say or to remind them, uh, actually, no, it hasn't, you know? So there's kind of like two sides to that, isn't there? Yeah, and I mean, I guess, I think that's really interesting, right? So, um, and the reason why I think it's so important that we have these conversations, because in the last couple of years, we've seen how short people's, um, white people, how short their memory is. Yes. And how, um, how black people have to have to have a longer memory. Yeah to be able to bring it back up and bring it yeah. back up and bring it back yeah. up and bring it back up over and over and over and yeah. over ad infinitum, right? Yeah. Um, and that, I do think that that's a condition of white, of white people, that yeah. they, they think that things have been yeah. this way, have, they just, they've just been like this forever. And selective. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, things have been this way forever when it suits them. Mm, interesting, yeah. yeah. And, oh... That was ages ago. It doesn't matter anymore when it suits them. Oh, well, I mean, that's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, stop going on about the bloody statues and stop going on about the, you know, slavery and the National Trust buildings, you know, because that was ages ago and none of us are responsible for it. So, you know, but we've been the empire forever. You know, it's it's kind and of like, like well, how ironic. You know, <laughs> what a juxtaposition to put yourself in. You know, <laughs> this is this is what happens when you take when you don't teach, you know, just basic logic at school. But also know? just history and like proper history. Yeah, proper you history. You know, because um, yeah. we were creating um, we were working through overhauling a presentation recently, and um, I was going through kind of the history of racism as it exists in te- historical contexts, like from. Um, slavery right mm. uh, from, <laughs> from about AD 43 until present yeah. but um, that doesn't mean that black well, people let's talk about Aristotle no but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that black people just appeared out of nowhere it's not like we just came out of you know and but here we are of course are. you did of course you did <laughs> it's like no no but there were no black people in the medieval t- it was in the middle ages you know it was just, you know and but that's like and but the reasoning, oh my god, the logic behind it, you know, is like, oh, there weren't any black people in medieval England. This is the Anglo-Saxonism nonsense, you know, because um, you know they weren't depicted in sort of like medieval imagery and so on and so forth. Like first of all, yes, they were, but like secondly, well, neither were peasants, you know. You're not going to see sort of like masses of iconography and imagery on medieval peasants because nobody gave a toss about the peasants. 
the only thing that they cared about were the saints, you know, and lords and ladies and whatnot and whatnot, the elites, basically. You know, so if you didn't have any people of colour as elites or trans people or whatever, you know, then they're not going to be depicted in the iconography. So to to assume that something doesn't exist because we don't have a picture of it. Or it's a like, record, right? It's the it's word like, that they what, use. Yeah. What planet or oh, planet white isn't it that's <laughs> well and so white. interestingly i think that um if you think if you don't know what um historical people of color looked like on the english the british isles then go and look up cheddar man exactly you know um exactly and i think it's really important that we we are making clear distinctions when we're talking about yeah. historical things that this is in a historical context and what is recorded in a historical context. It doesn't mean that there weren't other people or, yeah. you know what I mean? And when we're telling those stories and we're painting timelines, um, yeah. I mean, there's lots of problems with timelines, but I think, you know, you have to think about who's telling the story. Absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence. Right, exactly. You know, you know? which is why historians, you know, are, or some corners of, of, of historians and academia are starting to really dig into um, the history that has not been told that has been you know ignored overlooked or misrepresented because the history is there it just hasn't been important to look at it before yeah you know? and I mean you know as we're talking about historical things Getty Images just recently released a whole bunch of pictures that had previously not been in any archives, you know, and so that does that means yeah. that they that there were people withholding yeah. things, and so then yeah. you have to think about what else is being withheld, yeah. you know, and and yeah. that gives us another kind of layer to yeah. race and racism and exactly. the social construct and how yeah. society is built, right? Yeah. And it, it speaks to a yeah. lot of the things that we've experienced, yeah. right? And so and it's not rewriting history. It's discovering history, yeah. you know, and that's an ongoing process, you know, like as, you know, we have new technological tools, you know, like DNA analysis that they never had in the 70s, for example, you know, all kinds of different ways of sort of like interrogating the past, you know, that weren't available 30 years ago. So why hold on? to 30 or 40 or 50 year old thinking when the technology has moved beyond that you know yeah and there's reasons to hold on to that thinking that have nothing to do with finding out about history yeah because know? if because i think that there is a there is a societal scare that it will ruin the kind of facade white supremacy yeah the facade that yeah. that we've been living behind and under yeah. for so long yeah. you know so going back to kind of our childhood and and things was there was there any kind of like pull out kind of examples of microaggressive behavior or direct racism that you experienced because of us or that you experienced and or that we experienced and you also experienced through us. Does that make sense? Yeah, in the UK, not so much. Because it was all, like, covert. You know, the side eye, 
oh, where are the kids from? Where are you from? That kind of thing, you know. And that is like, I think that part is like a universal white thing. When they see a person of colour, it's like, where are you from? And they do not mean which English town or American town or, you know, French town or wherever it is. It's like, no, where are you really from? No, 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 like, you know, where are you from? Which part of Africa have we stolen you from? <laughs> yeah. Wow, they wouldn't write it like that, even, would they? <laughs> they don't even think it like that, you know, it's not even that. You know, so less, um, it's more covert in, in the UK than, than it is... Um, than it was in the States. But I think what disappointed me, you know, was was um, the, the fact that when I visited in the States, the, the recognition that, like, nothing has changed since I've been there, since I was there in the 80s, you know? And, like, I, when, when I visited you in Delaware, you know, and you came back from a childcare centre and, and you said that, um, you know, one of the children at the childcare centre had, had um, racially slurred Max. And it's like... my That happened to my toddler and it's happening to your toddler. Yeah. And it's like, this is just a demonstration of just like generation after generation after generation and it's like when is it ever gonna stop you know when are you people you know gonna stop being dicks mm -hmm. well yeah you know and i think it's 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 always it's interesting right um so like last it during when the when this podcast was called power story i spoke with yeah. um with beth um who's a doula and we were talking about how parenthood really changes the way that like you do stuff yeah it makes you a lot more activisty because you're like yeah i have to change it for them yeah. you know where like i've always been an activist like you know i think that we come from a family that is very vocal about what they think they yeah. they they have lively debates within we have lots of conversations about race and the racial kind of society that we live in and like what this means for us. And, you know, one of the best ones was about affirmative action and I argued against while well, granddaddy argued for, and it was just based on our gener on our generational, that generational gap, right? He won me over. Like I was yeah. always kind of on that side anyway, yeah. but you know, that's how, um, that's how those conversations have usually gone is like someone chooses a side and then you, yeah. you argue until the death, if you like, yeah. until you can't argue anymore. Right. Yeah. Cause they've made a, such a compelling case. And what it, what has, ha what happens when you have conversations like that and really lively debates within your own family is it allows you to see the fallacies in the argument that you're making yeah. um, and the fallacies in the arguments that other people are making, right? When you're on yeah. the winning side, if you like, yeah. um, but it gives you an opportunity, right? It's a practical life lesson yeah. of how to argue with people, how yeah. to make the case, make the case, you know, logically. Yeah. And, yeah. and how that has impacted the way that I talk to people and how Josh talks to people yeah. and how we are now t t talking to my kids 
as well, yeah. you know, and making sure that they know these things and that this stuff is going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, um, I know that when we were talking about kind of building into this um, podcast, we were speaking about this last week a little bit. We were. And, um, and how you... My level of ignorance. Yeah, that you weren't yeah. ever really involved no, in those conversations. No. And that was interesting because because it's like I wasn't... <clears throat> I wasn't necessarily excluded. I, I don't think I would say that. But those conversations never happened around me as a white person in an all-black family, basically, when I lived in Texas, you know. But and that's but that's the other thing, though, that I have to sort of, like, recognise. Sort of, like, I was, like, 20, 20 22 at the time, 25, 26 by the time um, we left Texas. But I I didn't engage in those conversations. I didn't sort of like, um, I wasn't proactive at all. I was a very passive white Karen back then in the 80s. Very passive, you know, and it didn't even occur to me, even though, and this is like, you know, looking, you know, like sometimes as you, as you're older, you will find out. Um, <laughs> as you get older, you look back on certain parts of your life, and like parts of you, you recognise and you and you and you kind of like almost yearn for. Oh, that person I was back then, she was so cool. And then other parts, you're like, who the fuck was that? Well, you, you know, know, I think, but I think that because I just growth. didn't. Yeah, but like it surprises me now that like I ask myself the questions like, why did I not? interrogate any of that you know why did I not see it as my as my responsibility to interrogate that and and look at that educate myself you know and I think that is like just the epitome of the of of the passivity of sort of like so-called allyship you know it's not enough to just sort of like you know, physically be in the space or adjacent to, you know, a person of colour or any other marginalised personal group. It's like, you have to actively do shit, you yeah. know? And I think that, that that's like, that's the, that's what's interesting to me is because, um, like, I'm relatively young, right? And so, like, looking back over... You're just a baby, yeah, darling. but, like, looking back over my life right my the cognitive memory that I have is quite young right mm. um, and so I can like think back to times when dad taught me how to go through a store right which you found yeah. surprising when I when I told you that yeah last week. we had that whole thing didn't we yeah because yeah. I was you know I was explaining that when I was like six or seven right um, dad had taken me to um, a shop taken us really because me and Josh like He's a single dad at this point, yeah. so like, he didn't have a choice, yeah. you know, <laughs> take us both to the shop. Um, but he was he was really methodical about the way that he went through the store. And while he was doing that, he was teaching us how to go through the store to keep kind of um, as much awareness that we were in the space as possible off of us, right? So we already have kind of that um, we're very noticeable very beautiful children but, but we're also black right and so it's security is already fixated on people of color and mm. 
if you can get through this store in kind of this methodical way where you're starting at one side of the store and you're going to the other side of the store and you're kind of going up and down the aisles, right? And not moving erratically. So like, um, interestingly, my dad was like, you know, if you, if you forget something in the produce section, you're not going back to it. Like you'll get it next time. Right. And I was like explaining this to, to my mother last week. And she was yeah. like, what? <laughs> I don't even have to think about that. No, like I make my, like when I go grocery shopping, I make a list of the stuff that I need in the order that I think of the stuff that I need. You know, so it might be eggs, cereal, tin tomatoes, milk, bread, let's say, you know. And when I go into the grocery store, I follow my list. So I might, I'll go to the egg aisle, I'll go to the tinned aisle, I'll go to the bread aisle, I'll go to the milk aisle. So I zigzag all over the shop, you know, because I'm following my list. You know, I do know that some people, you know, organise their list based on the layout of their favourite supermarket for efficiency, you know, but not for the not for security, right. not for the reason that yeah. you do it. So like So I'm... as a white person, I can move through a space in whichever way I want to, you know. I mean, certain scenarios are different because I'm female, I'm a woman, you know, so there are certain situations where I have to think about security, you know, even at my age, you know, late at night, well, keys out, all that kind of stuff. You could argue. Yeah, because vulnerable old lady, you know, <laughs> easier to mug. Um, so there's that, but it's not like on an everyday basis that I have to... I can basically move however I want through any space that I like without having to think that someone's going to nab me or follow me around the shop because they think I'm shoplifting. Yeah, and so I was just so... Sh- Last week we were talking about this because I forget how we got on the conversation, but we were talking about it and she was like, well, why just like do it in my head? And I'm like, this is what I need. And I'm going to go through the store and I'm going to get the things that I need. And I was like, yeah, so I make lists like that too, but I write them down and then I organize them because if I forget something, especially because I've got kids to feed, (laughs) if I forget something, then I'm going to be at the store tomorrow, you know? And she was like, excuse me, what? Why would you, you know, and the fact that I have to expend more time to organize a shopping trip and not just for, I mean, I love lists. I'm not going to lie. I love lists. I love writing down my lists. You know, I'm a listical person. But like, once I've made a list, I've made my list. I'm not going to rearrange my list, you know, based on the soup. Why would I waste time doing that? So for me, as a white person, that's a waste of labor. You know, because I'm like, why do I need to do that? I don't need to do that. You know, but for you, as a woman of colour, that's a cost of labour, isn't it? Because you're going to, because you have to do that. Yeah. You know. And so I think interestingly, um, while, we're messed the, up. while we're on like the subject of lists. So like, remember when I stayed here, when we, when we first like moved back? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you gave me lists to go to the Tesco and all the things, yeah. right? 
Um, so I would look at the list. So you'd talk me through like what's on the list and what you want. And I'd yeah. be looking at the list. I'd be listening to what you say. Yeah. But I'd be looking at the list going, okay, well, I can get this. If I go if I go in the store and go this way, yeah. I can get that thing and then this thing and then yeah. this thing. Right? And I'm having to do those mental calculations while yeah. also listening to the type of chocolate that you want rather than yeah. just chocolate, you know? Yeah. Um, and how like... That's Maybe that's why Josh always forgets my coffee when I send him to Tesco. Maybe. Maybe that is why. I never thought I'm going to have to ask him about that. But it's just bonkers. But I also think... I was out um, in Delaware and I was at Safeway, which is like a grocery store, kind of like the size of like Sainsbury's, right, on Pound mm. Lane. And um, I had literally come out of the gym. I came in for water. Right, for like, I got like a case of water. Yeah. Right? I'm not trying to steal water, okay? But I got a case of water and I had my car keys and my iPhone <laughs> and I was in gym get up yeah. and I had a case of water and I went to scan it at the self checkout and it was literally the only thing that I had. And the lady, like the, you know, you know how self, self checkouts can be. Very yeah. finicky if some if any kind of weight is wrongly distributed, yeah. right? Yeah. So I had to call for help because the thing wouldn't let me like check out. Yeah. And she was like, "Do you have anything else?" And I went, "No." Yeah. Like I literally have leggings with no pockets and a fucking crop top on and my yeah. phone and my car key. What? Where am I gonna put it? What, In my bra? You, yeah. Or did you stuff down your cleavage? You know. No, my boobs are just naturally this big. You know what I mean? It's like... But it is. It's like, it's insidious, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and that's... And that has nothing to do with the practicality of sort of like... You know, because literally, if you took like 30 seconds, you'd be like, okay, there's nowhere on their body that that person is going to hide contraband. You know? But it's like... It's a knee-jerk, isn't it? You know, you are X... So you must be doing why, you know, and that's it. That is the narrative. I'm like trying to spend five dollars on a case of water, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like I can afford to buy water, yeah. okay? And I, I can, can afford only, to have a fifteen hundred dollars. I can only <laughs> imagine just how exhausting that is all the time, yeah. you know. It's a lot to have to police yourself, you know, and check stuff and worry about security all the time you know worry about sort of like the perception you are broadcasting into the space around you well it's like you know, you know these um situations now especially here but the states is moving to this too where you're having to bring in bags of your own right mm. they never really considered the racial aspect of that like what's in that what's in because you always get asked what's in what's in your bag. What did you bring with you? Yeah. Do you have a receipt for that? Right. So at every time that I check out, I get a receipt. I don't care if it's wasting yeah. paper. Right. Um, yeah. Because I've been stopped multiple times at different shops like Asda, yeah. uh, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Morrison's, multiple times because I have a bag full of shopping and then this one bit that, that is, doesn't fit in. It's 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 the hidden aspect of stop and search, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's not just the police. Yeah. who stop and search you know it's in supermarkets it's in telephone stores it's in the apple store it's everywhere you know it's like stop and search is insidious and white people we tend to just sort of like 
move through the space completely oblivious. But but also like even when um, white people have noticed and I've noticed that they've noticed, they still don't say anything. They still don't come to you know? defense. And it's like um, Dylan going into the store, my ex-husband going into the store and being able to just like walk out with groceries out of bags and yeah. not ever get stopped at the thing. But then if I go in and I have anything out of the bag and get stopped and my receipt is looked over. Yeah. You know? And that's, it's those, yeah. it's those things where you're just like, why? Yeah. Why is it like this? Like, even if I was stealing something, which I have never done, right? But even if I, <laughs> but even if I, even if I was, like, does yeah. it really matter to these multi-million pound corporations that I've stolen a bag of crisps? Or bar yes. chocolate or a DVD. Yes. You know? <laughs> because that makes it your fault that we're going into a recession. Your fault. Oh, mine. Yes. Oh. That's your fault. I see. Yeah. I it's mean, the fault of the individual person because stealing a bag has, of crisps or a tin of baked beans rather than the structural. For, right? Exactly. <laughs> Just, it's bonkers, really. It is. But when you start thinking about this on like a wider. At, on a wider level, right, yeah. about how the similarities that we have as, yeah. even though you're white and I'm black and and uh, we're both women and we both share some experiences, yeah, right? Maybe our experience yeah. is slightly different basically yeah. because race intersects, right? But, um, and poor and like growing up mm -hmm. on a council estate and yeah. all of this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Like we have a lot of similarities for, for the many differences that we have an experience right yeah. and it's this is why I get like so like I get really impassioned when I talk about privilege right because I don't really like the word privilege right I think that there's like the, it's it misses a lot of things mm. there's like nuance in it but when it's introduced it's often introduced by itself you know it's usually like privilege exists and then there's like not really or hardly a mention about marginalization which can't exist if privilege doesn't exist yeah right um, there are two sides of the same coin. And when we are talking about privileges and marginalization, so like we've had this conversation because I was talking you through that sphere thing, um, <laughs> about how, um, that intersectionality piece is really important mm. to be able to have a conversation of what it's like to be a woman. Well, that supermarket conversation we've just had is a classic example of white privilege, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm, I live in social housing, you know, I don't have a pot to proverbially go to the loo in, you know. I'm, I am definitely what you would class as poor, you know, um, working class through and through. But I still, in that situation, I experience white privilege going through the supermarket that you do not. Yeah. You know, so the whole idea is sort of like, you know, and that it's it's a it's a continuing trope of sort of like well I'm white working class poor I don't have any money you know I don't have any privilege yes you do but that's you why that do. that's why that whole thing when when I walked you through it how mm. you were like oh this is really cool and really like interesting and how yeah um how to kind of show people that even because I have visible visibly right I lack a lot of privilege. I have marginalization in lots of areas. Yeah. As a woman, mm -hmm. as a black woman, as a queer woman, right? I have lots of, you couldn't really tell unless I was walking down the street with a woman that I was queer, right? But I have a lot of like visible 
marginalization. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Places where I lack privilege. Right. Yeah. But the, when you kind of do the the kind of mini intersectionality tool, right, and you're kind of evaluating, okay, well, what places might I hold privilege or might I hold privilege within my marginalizations, right? Mm. So as a woman, I have marginalizations. I'm marginalized on the whole. But I'm also the cisgendered. I've, I'm the, the thing that I was declared at birth. I feel and am, right? Mm. <laughs> and so I hold some privilege in my gender that yeah. and sex and all of that that a trans woman doesn't have, Yeah. right? And so there are layers, and this is why the conversation about privilege has to be more nuanced, and why yeah. privilege really doesn't do that, you know? Why that work? And I think that yeah. as we kind of progress in the conversations that we're having around anti-racism and anti-oppressive practice, that we might need to start changing the language that we're using. Yeah, and I think it's because like people tend to think that sort of like privilege is one a zero sum game, that like. Um, you know, more for them, if, less for you. If I ha- yeah, if I have privilege, that means I have more than you. But I feel like I don't have much. So if I say that I have privilege, then I'm saying that I've got more than I really have, and that's that's not how I feel in myself. You know, so privilege is a very loaded word. It is, but that's you know, because, because it's class based, especially in this country. But if you're privileged, if if somebody said to me, you know, or and, and probably many people. It's like if you if if you had to think of someone who was privileged, what would you say? And I would say privately educated, rich, you know, um, upper class, you know, that's privilege. That's how we understand privilege, you know. Um, probably white would not be in would, mm. would not be on that list. But interestingly you know, for me, even though it's inherent on that list, really. But interestingly for me, right. As a black person, if someone said, "What's what? Who's privileged?" or "Who would you, if you had to pick someone and like pick all of the things?" I would be like, "White man, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Christian esque, yeah, yeah, mid thirties, yeah, right, yeah. Um, like if you had to go through all yeah. of the things, yeah. like it would white would definitely fall in there for me, yeah, because and this is an interesting um, thing that I just learned. Well, I learned it like maybe a couple of years ago when we started a Facebook group about raising anti racist kids. Is that white parents aren't talking to their kids about race. No. You know, and I'm like, yeah. what? well, what do you mean? You know, when someone told me that for the first time, I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is, like, race has always had to be a conversation for us. You know, it had to be a conversation for my kids because Max's skin color was used against him when he was two and a half years old, mm-hmm. you know? And he didn't understand, he didn't have the words right um he understood what yeah, happened yeah. but it was it those those things came out as well, why didn't that kid want to play with me anymore yeah you know because that's the the innocence of children right there yeah right they just want to play and be friends with everybody yeah. but then someone says something about them and then you have to have that conversation and how do you do that and then that those conversations and then the, the George Floyd murder when he was 6 and having to have those conversations and him go I'm I'm not I'm like daddy you know, and how hard that is and how hard that was for his dad and me to have to walk through that, you yeah. know, because he is made of his dad. He looks like his dad, except for that he's not white, you know, and I'm like, and when you walk through the world, people are going to see you as a black boy, Yeah. you know, and he's tall 
and we had to have, you know, I remember telling you that we had to have conversations about whether he could wear a hoodie or not. You know, he's seven. Yeah. You know, how do you have, why do we have to think about this so much, you know, yeah. um, before our kids even get to double digits? Yeah. You know, and that white families are just able to just like ignore it. It's a, honestly, I think it's a form of madness, you know. But there's a lot of, like, um, you know, denying of many, many things, you know. And I don't know if that's, like, a human trait or what, white trait. I don't know. But, like, the default is denial, you know. You come up against something uncomfortable, not happening, you know. Well, and you know... Don't believe it. I do think... Doesn't happen. Don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You know, la, 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 you know, skip along happily, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, and it's like, mate, you can't freaking live like that. <laughs> yeah, I think the interesting thing, you know... You're going to is... fall over, <laughs> bang your head on the pot and die of a brain hemorrhage. That is what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, and I do think that often, you know... Um, we talk about I don't see color, right? Because I think we've both been guilty. I of said that. that right? I said that. Yeah, we've both been guilty yeah. of this, right? In because my in my when I was like early twenties, but that is no excuse. No, but I mean, if you met me fifteen years ago, I would have been on that yeah. kind of same. Oh, we have a black president now, so we must be past it. You know what I mean? Oh, but well, that's a whole that different was, conversation, it was, isn't it? That was optimism, yeah. though. You yeah. know, and I do think that sometimes yeah. when people say that they don't see color, that it's it's it comes from a place of we shouldn't still be here. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I agree with even that. though it's impact, it impacts people of color yeah. in a lot of ways and as a microaggression, please don't say things like this. No, do not. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that it comes from the thought is, mm. is well-intentioned most of the time. But it's still, you know, I'm not going to give myself a pass on that, even though I was only like 22 or whatever. Because, like, it comes from a place of ignorance, you know, and it's like, I guess one of the things that I've learned, really, like, you know, we talked about growth earlier, is that, like, there's no excuse for ignorance. There just isn't. Well, not in today's you society know? when you have literally there the isn't. world at your fingertips. You do. You know, but even then, even back then, you know, all it would have taken would have been a conversation ask, yeah ask the question yeah, ask a question right have a conversation and i think you know so one of, there's no excuse for it really. one of the things that josh said when he when he interviewed you is about um did you know you were marrying a black man when when you married him and like your response was was no because it hadn't really crossed your mind um mm. so when when did it become a thing i think when I got to Texas and the the overt nature of the of the racism really. And do you think that changed you? Um it changed my perception of like it cha it changed how I moved through the world in the sense of like, you know, my I couldn't be naive anymore, you know? And being naive is a privilege. That is a privileged position to be in. If you can walk through the world oblivious to the world's harms and the basic shittiness of humanity, then that annoys me now, you know, because it's like you can't. 
you know there there is like that's an abrogation of your responsibility as a human being you know if you if you have that happy clappy sort of like you know oh i don't see color it's like no you know you're being irresponsible by saying that it's like face up to your responsibility as a human being yeah you know yeah, i think you, you just can't afford to i think that's the ultimate privilege actually like being oblivious because there's a willfulness to it you know i mean especially now right yeah after, after the yeah. last two years and yeah uh the the, yeah. the uprisings um which let's just call them what they were yeah. they're riots right they're not uprisings uh let's just call call them what they are because yeah. because uprisings is too nice for the things that have gone on right yeah and uh, people might have problems with using the word riot because it paints people as bad people while the world is bad and we should be able to respond in kind yeah um but you know i think i don't know what it was about the george floyd thing right because it's not the first time you know in 2014 there was the baltimore yeah. riots yeah. There in in 1998, there was the LA riots, right? There's been the Brixton riots and the Notting Hill riots, and you know how I why think, what was different? I think it's I kind of liken it to uh, domestic abuse, actually. You know, people always say, "Oh, why didn't you leave earlier? You know, why did you stick around? You know, because you always think that like you know things are going to get better, or a person can change, or you're too afraid, or there's there's many many reasons." why you know a person you know puts up with tolerates or endures is a, is a better word you know domestic abuse and, and violence but there comes a point if you're lucky before they kill you where you just you get to the breaking point where you just cannot tolerate it anymore it's like your toleration for abuse and pain and hurt reaches a critical point and you literally physically emotionally mentally just cannot go beyond that point you know and I think I liken it to that I think that the George Floyd you know the fact that I think maybe you know it was recorded by so many people and so I I just if you watch that and and it does not move something dislodge something inside you then there's something wrong with you to begin with you know and i think it's that it's like you get to a critical point and it's like no if something isn't done i'm going to die you know if i don't get out of this situation i'm gonna die it is gonna end me you know and I think that that can happen at the societal level, you know, if something, you know, and different societies have different end points, you know, like with gun violence, our end point in the UK was, was, the, <laughs> was, was the Dunblane massacre, you know, and um, for reasons that require half a dozen more podcasts, that hasn't happened in, in America. But the same happened in Australia. You know, the end point for gun violence in Australia was a mass shooting. The end point for gun violence in New Zealand was a mass shooting. You know, Switzerland, where everybody and their uncle and their kid has a gun, never had a mass shooting. You know, 
whatever you know but like they're when confronted with perpetual continual repeated violence at some point you're going to hit the no wall yeah i mean i think you know in the black community black american community specifically that that point was hit was hit a long time ago but i think that it's taken a while for everybody else to catch up exactly <laughs> you know exactly and uh, now and i think that the there was like a seismic shift right yeah and um and how we're having these conversations and how open people are being about having conversations like this yeah for yeah. the most part like not everybody yeah because, you know we've got more there's a whole do. bunch but, of tokenism going on but that's but, yeah, again, and, another you know and, and of course we'll, we're gonna have more conversations like this but i think this is a good place for us to to kind of rest this for now but yeah. i think you know the pandemic and then this this happening like right after we had to lock down and like we felt mm. as a society global society that we had literally had everything kind of taken away from us at once mm. you know we weren't allowed to leave our houses and everything was shut and like you know yeah. we couldn't go anywhere we couldn't do anything and and then this thing happened and then everyone was like nah no thank you <laughs> you know and i think maybe it was the combination of the things happening yeah maybe people actually had space to think when you take away all of that stuff you know work shopping consumerism all the stuff that we couldn't do going out eating going to the cinema meeting friends rah, 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 rah. you know which is why a lot of people had mental health issues because they had space to think mm. you know and people fill up their lives to With avoid stuff, having right, to think right. you know so maybe that partly was um a trigger for it as well is sort of like people had a space to sit in well, that's interesting. their feelings and the ability to think about stuff well, I think that's on a higher level. I actually think that's interesting because we have seen, right, as like the world has gotten back to normal and whatever that whatever that means. Yeah. Um, that the conversations have changed and yeah. people have stopped talking and yeah. become more quiet and people are just creating head of chief diversity people and we're giving it to white people but whatever <laughs> yeah podcast from another day but i do think that that's interesting because like when we were forced to to sit with ourselves right we were like man the world's fucked up yeah you know yeah and then as soon as the world reopened we're like yeah fuck that let's go back yeah. to how it was back to that denialism yeah. and the la 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 let's not think about it stuff you yeah. know it's like it's almost like we 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 got up to, you know, just the bottom level of self-actualization of Maslow's hierarchy no. of needs. And then everything reopened, you were like right back down to the bottom <laughs> of the pyramid. Yeah, you know, I was we like... We tumbled down to I the do, bottom. I mean, I do think it's really interesting, right? When, and this is why I love, I love being a sociologist, right? I love that I get to, can like, have conversations with you, right? A fellow mm. psychologist, but sociologist yeah psychologist and philosopher now yeah you know yeah, that. <laughs> that we uh that we can have these kind of conversations and and really kind of look at our own experiences and then yeah. also see how those patterns have moved yeah. through yeah. our lives and we've seen it happen yeah. and how we can 
um, how do we how we move forward from that? I guess you know, and like we're gonna keep having these conversations and yeah. talking about different stuff and different things. different uh, different avenues of kind of. I don't know, whatever, politics and who knows? Just Aristotle no. No, we can't do it. We can't talk about Aristotle. Because because my mother will get uh it, will be a, it, will, it won't be a podcast, yeah. it'll be a rant. Yeah. <laughs> she'll just get on her soapbox and go to mm-mm. No. But I mean, you know, we'll leave it we'll leave it right here. Aristotle has a lot to answer for. Oh, he's right. Such and a... and also um capitalism. Because yeah. without both, without the combination of those things, we would not be where we are right now. No, we would not. You know, categorization and money. <gasps> and you would have just heard my mother's skin crawl. <laughs> Thanks so much for hanging out and listening Thank you for to having us. me. And I it's like been fun. I love this. I think it's so good. It's and been fun. Yeah, I think that we have to. We I have enjoyed to keep it. Doing it. And it, you know, it's at some point I forgot that. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Running Through Rivers, Conversations with My Mom. This episode was a two-parter because it was quite long, um, but I hope that you found this episode useful in the conversations that you might be able to have with your families. Hopefully we can um, create a an understanding around these conversations don't have to be hard. Um, and of course, when my mom and I started talking about these things, it wasn't easy. We have been on this journey for, um, about the best part of a decade, to be fair. And I think that as we lean into having some of these more challenging conversations, um, with our family members and our friends, um, that there is a level of liberation that happens when you can explore how someone is thinking or feeling and how they got to where they are. And so I hope and I encourage you to um, keep trying to have those challenging conversations. Uh, Use wandering curiosity where you're walking alongside um, the person that you're uh, challenging and understand where 
they're coming from because the only way to change behavior, to change core belief, is to understand where those core beliefs came from. So again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait to do it again. I'm Shannon Rivers and this has been Running Through Rivers Conversations with My Mom.